we are really excited to introduce our new podcast to you, From Uniforms to Unicorns. We're your hosts, Lauren and Sharon. Two friends, moms, business owners who happen to be in prison. Grab a coffee, head out on your walk, or just take a break. Okay, so uh, Sharon and I thought that we would talk uh, today mostly about the evolution of women's prisons in Canada because we get so many people asking, oh, is it like Orange is the New Black? Oh, is it like Wentworth? Or, yeah. or is it like those locked up raw, you know, and if you worked in a facility in Canada, you know, it's very different than what you see on TV. And if you've worked in a female facility in Canada, you know, it's very different than yeah. what you see on TV. And when I attempt to explain it to people, they're like, what? Really? I had no idea. <laughs> and of course you don't have an idea. It's not something that is overly public if you looked it up on the internet you could find a photo of EIFW and see what it looks yeah. like but I mean most of the time you, you question it in your head and while you're watching something and you don't look it up so um, we thought we'd just talk about how women's prisons have evolved in Canada and why they look like they do and how that has impacted us impacted the inmates impacted how um, dynamics have changed over the years. So first of all, there was really only one prison for women in Canada up until almost 25 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. the prison that Sharon and I worked at was fairly new. Um, when she came, it had only been open for about seven years. And when I came, it had been open for about nine. But P4W was in Kingston and it housed all federally sentenced women. So to be federally sentenced, people don't understand this, right? Like we talked about, like people are like, oh, you work at Fort Saskatchewan, yeah, right? Spy no, Hill, no. right? No. Yeah. Uh, so there's different systems. There's provincial system and there's federal system. In order to be um, incarcerated at a federal system, you have to be sentenced to, to two years plus a day. And to serve time in a provincial system, it's two years or less. And provincial systems are co-ed and federal systems are... Um, men and women and uh, there's a there's also like that gray line there now too like there's you know different classifications of uh, non-binary and like things like that oh, yeah so mm -hmm. uh, it gets interesting right it, and it, uh, it wasn't necessarily like that for us we did have one inmate who used to be a man and was a woman who we housed when you and I were there um, yeah. but so now it's very male and female. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to see how all of that evolves as, you know, the world evolves and as, evolve. yeah, as time yeah. goes on. Yeah. So, um, the prison for women opened in, I, the first female was housed there in 1934 and then it eventually completely crashed, uh, or came to a halt in 1994 in 1998 though they knew that this wasn't working there was a a task in 19, force. yeah so kingston the prison opened in 1835 right. and eventually closed so now it's closed it's open i think for touring so that it officially the whole thing closed in september 2013 so it's housed like most of the notorious right. uh 
inmates uh, in Canada. So in 1989, a task force was started uh, because it wasn't working with the women housed in this uh, wing of this prison. And from that task force came a document uh, called Creating Choices. That came about in 1990. Right. And the recommendations was to close the prison for women or the P for W and build five regional prisons and one Aboriginal healing lodge. Right. So Lauren was saying before, if you got sentenced, say in Vancouver, you'd be shipped all the way down to Kingston as a federally sentenced woman to serve your time. Right. And what came out of that task force was basically like the prison for women is not adequate. The prison for women is overly secure because they house minimum, medium and maximum security inmates, depending on your crime, depending on your behavior, depending on all of these things. There was poor programming for um, the women that were there. Um, they were isolated from their families. The needs of Francophones weren't met. Uh, the needs of Aboriginal women weren't met. Um, so they had all these things that came forward, like you can't integrate women into a community when this, commu this is creating so much uh, media attention and all of these things yeah. that were happening, right? Um, it didn't promote rehabilitation. There were so many things this task force came forth, created this document and said, okay, we've decided that this is uh, an unfit place for women to reintegrate back into society and become law-abiding citizens. So then there was like a massive riot in like yeah. 1994, which kind of brought everything to a halt. There was um, uh, a publicized, a, a massively publicized um, strip search of inmates by male SWAT teams that led to another federal inquiry that condemned the cruel, inhumane, and uh, degrading treatment of women. And that's kind of when I'm, I think from 89 to 94, they were building these five facilities that we talk about or rolling them out. Cause I think there was three that came in 95. Right. So then, yeah, so ni 95 came Edmonton Institution for Women, uh, the institution in Nova mm -hmm. and the Aboriginal Healing Lodge. Right. Uh, ni 1997 came Joliet and Grand Valley Institution. Right. Uh, and Fraser Valley Institution came in 2004. Right. So they, uh, we're assuming they, if this happened in 94 and then EIFW opened in 95, we're like, there's no way they built that in a year. In a so they year, obviously right. had started, but weren't moving inmates to facilities, I think, I guess until whatever, 1995 is when it started. But this um, publicized strip search by male SWAT teams was like, I want to say like the straw that broke the camel's back, I guess. That's right. Yeah. It was, they just knew it was time. Right. And that they had to, um, what they were doing wasn't working. So they move inmates back to their region. Is that what we call them? Regions? Yeah, their regions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Prairie Region is Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Manitoba. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you live in Manitoba, you will be housed at Edmonton Institution of Women. So it is, is it better? Sure. Um, is it completely ideal? Probably not, especially if your family comes from Winnipeg. And I would say like, I don't even know the statistics on that, but I, we had quite a few from Winnipeg. From Winnipeg and from Saskatchewan, Brandon right? Or, so, yeah, wherever, yeah. So. Wherever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not like you commit a crime in 
Calgary and you get to stay in Calgary, no, you're shipped up to Edmonton and you serve your time there. Right, right. And that that was a different premise uh, because they were housed like our secure unit would be housed. Like what, what you would see in Orange is the New Black kind of thing. It's like that is a uh, um, maximum. Like a maximum, yeah. Like Wentworth, right? Without yes. all the Hollywood, or it's, I know it's Australian, but without all the extra drama, the, the Wentworth is most like what the maximum units of these women's prisons look like. So the the general population or the medium and minimum house they look like a townhouse complex. So right. and ours was shaped in like a horseshoe. And yeah. we had um Is it the houses, houses were numbered, yeah. And then the ones at the very back, closest to the fence were minimums. Minimums. So we right. had mostly mediums and then the back end was uh minimums. We also had a a mental health unit. That's right. We had a private family visits unit. And like, this is so funny because as I'm talking, I'm like seeing it in my head. It's and coming like, back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. It's and this and back. this and the, the trailer that we had for Aboriginal ceremonies, remember? Like, That's right. Yeah, That's right. Um, but so they decided that, you know, women didn't thrive in the same facilities that men typically thrive in. They needed something different. They also needed significantly more connection um, with That's other right. women. But I'll tell you something the one thing that would deter me more than anything from not committing a crime was having to live with 10 women ten, yeah. in a house in because a house. they house, each house houses 10 women. And I mean the dynamics and the drama the yeah. and that, like, I remember them coming up to the office saying, we don't like this girl. And us always, our response was always, well, this isn't survivor. Yeah. To vote people off the island. So do we need to, what do we need to do to make these relationships work so that we can, because we were so full, we couldn't even move people from house. We couldn't, no. And right. we didn't based on, I don't right. like you or right. she doesn't watch the shows I watch. And also in their houses, they were responsible for budgeting, like for their, their house, yep. uh, their meals, meal prep. So there was lots of room for fighting right Lots. so because there's 10 in there i i've never done that i've had one roommate before and yeah it's We're not good. an ideal yeah, situation <laughs> so i lived with i lived with five women in university the first year i lived there and i mean it wasn't bad because i didn't know these women at all like i just made it work yeah. um, but i i would always say like okay well remember this when something happens and you potentially have to come back here, like think about that. If you think hate about this those so things. much, um, yeah. So they they basically changed the entire um, system of how they dealt with women. So let's part of the reintegration was like, okay, let's put them with people. Okay, let's give them jobs. Okay, let's make yeah. them budget. Okay, let's make them cook their meals, um, which I think is is incredible because I mean lots of those women didn't have those skills when they showed and, up to us and they yeah they absolutely didn't and they didn't even have uh a community so in some right. of the houses that was that became their family and they could cook they didn't have food some of them right so they could cook meals for uh each other they could do a lot of things uh right w which was great and it, it mostly was great it did lead to some hoarding or fighting or i don't like this person but it mostly was good 
do you, as we're talking about this, I remember people are like, like, so can they have knives? And yes. we, I was like, they can, but remember they were tethered to the wall, to the wall. And we had to and go lock them up every night, we every had to night. open them every morning yeah. in those cases. Remember? That's and right. I, and yeah. make sure they were all there. So when we did a walk through the house, uh, every hour, was it, or two hours, yeah. you have to make sure all knives are accounted for. So let's say we walked in at nine, you know, for the next two hours, I guess they could go crazy with the knives until we come back at 11 <laughs> to say, where's the knife, right? Where's the paring knife? <laughs> Bring the peeler back. Totally. Yeah, there was the knife and the peeler. Yes. And the peeler. It, uh, yeah. So people always ask me like, and I'm like, I don't, sometimes I remember and sometimes I don't, but like they had jobs that they had to get up to in the morning. We That's would wake right. them up. We, it was either school or a job or a job or yeah. so, like, I mean, we didn't go in and like physically say like, it's time to get up to school. It was, you were expected. And if you didn't show up, sometimes we were sent to look for you Yeah. or sometimes we would just let it be right. It's uh, and then you're not, you're not paid for the day, but Mostly, yeah, they'd have to go be somewhere, do something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can't just mm -hmm. sleep. I mean, you could technically just sleep your time away, but you don't then get out for good behavior. You don't get right. visits. You don't get a lot of. And other one things. of the one of the things, and I don't know if they did this in P4W, but a big part of coming to prison, a big part of is your you are expected to with a parole officer or with your primary worker create a correctional plan. So we would get recommendations saying, okay, this person needs to attend substance abuse programming. This person needs to attend this programming and they need to whatever. So then we would sit down with them and say, okay, so your correctional plan states these things. So we're able to get you in this program here. We're able to get you in this program here, um, whatever, work release, whatever it is that they're yeah. supposed to be doing as part of the correctional plan. So each individual person got a correctional plan based on the, the crime that they committed, based on their background information that they've given to- They've provided. Yeah, so yeah. everybody gets something different per se, right? So, um, yes, and it's, it is, and it's based sometimes on just you wanna work on your GED for example right. like and it yeah it's often based on just what they need and sometimes they want no part of it and most of the time they do though right they want to be most people want to be a functioning member of society who right is contributing to something right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and we and you and I saw it like it's unfortunately and it's the the cycle of perpetuation of you know traumatized individuals who don't know any better so then we, right. we get them as adults which it's harder to teach an adult something than it mm -hmm. is well i have kids now so maybe i should <laughs> like it yeah. it's hard to teach anybody anything right um so it's we're trying to change everything they know um change everything they've learned change these patterns that have been handed down to them and mm -hmm. say you can do better you, you absolutely have the potential and changing like the way they cope with things because yeah. it's that that coping that leads them back down the rabbit hole so to speak right mm -hmm. to know to to act on what they know versus okay now you've learned these new skills yeah so. exactly and and you 
constantly are um, pulling tools from the toolbox, right? Things that we have learned or things, even I remember giving them like things that I had been through in my life as experiences, right. like mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know what? I haven't been to in something to that extent, but I can give you, you know, this is something that happened to me and this is what I did or I know exactly what you're talking about because I've experienced this, right? It was yep. always like trying to relate to That's right. their specific needs, but yeah. like cre creating that rapport and that bond with them. Okay. What else do you think was different? What else do you think that? Well, um, when we were talking about when, when we first came in, there was no fencing, right? So right. as, yeah, as time, and in fact, so when I first came in, there was no max unit. It was being built, so there was no uh, segregation. Also called what the whole right. digger, lots of different, <laughs> yeah, uh, like isolation. So we had a trailer pulled in. So a trailer that was equipped with was it one cell or two cells or I wasn't there with the trailer. The trailer oh, okay. was gone when I came. The trailer was a gong show. So. <laughs> The trailer was pulled into the middle of the courtyard of the houses, and if an inmate, you know, whatever, acted out or needed that, they we would take them to this trailer segregation. So it had a fence around it. You'd bring them up there. You'd unlock this fence. You'd walk them up these stairs, and there was one or two cells. I can't remember. And you would be, an officer would be uh, across the, I think it was glass from them in an office, uh, just watching them, <laughs> making sure, you know, they were live breathing bodies. And at that time it was a 30 minute watch and right. they could communicate with you. You could communicate back to them. They could smoke in there at that point. Right. You could smoke. That's something <laughs> we are going to talk about. I thought about <laughs> yeah. that today. Sharon, I remember rolling smokes. Yeah. For you could a do specific that. inmate, and she would say, "No, no, I don't want you to roll my smokes. I want the other guy to roll my. He does it better because whenever I would roll a smoke, he would like take a puff, and the whole cigarette would be gone. I'm like I don't know how to roll smokes. Well, you're like that's not part of my job description, too, <laughs> right? right? And they would, remember smokes. they would roll it under the the door, and we would light it and roll We'd it. We'd light it. We'd yes, we would absolutely light it. And then crazy all night really long weird. on midnight shift, we'd just like smokes every 30 minutes. And so you're in a trailer and there's an inmate separated by, I think it was a pane of glass from you smoking <laughs> and you're sitting in your room trying not to inhale secondhand smoke and try to, you know, stay awake. Sometimes they'd want to talk and sometimes they got really violent in there. So we had an inmate in there who got very violent and kicked the so it was glass kicked it out and started it's not funny I don't know why I'm laughing slashing with the shards of glass so we had a major incident in the center right. of our courtyard and it was like all responders everybody was in and that trailer was soon gone because and and I think that's the thing is like we did we I say we like I was there but I mean it wasn't like oh a maximum security prison for women is not it's not a, we're not going to expedite that because we probably won't be able to fill it. Right. It was like, Oh, well, we'll do this until something happens, happens. and we'll yeah, see that's, like, that's kind of how it evolves. Right. Like we'll just try this till something happens. Till and something then, else, yeah. And when something, 
happens, it's it's usually really bad. And so that particular incident was very bad. And like there was uh, no injuries to staff. That inmate had cut herself and threatening to harm herself. And you're basically the officer in there calling for help, unlocking doors without abandoning your post. So it was right. like very tricky to manage. Uh, just difficult. <laughs> yeah, just difficult, right? But then yeah. it was like, okay, so what was the evolution of that? It was like, oh, the seg range, oh, the max unit. And then it was like, That's right. oh, now ma now medium's full. We have to try and move these minimums out because we're treating them with the same security level that we're treating mediums. And yeah. I actually remember being on the security unit one day when we had an incident and we were full and all of a sudden it was like, okay, who's the least maximum security person here? That's right. Because we have to get, <laughs> we have to get them out. We right? have to move them out to be able to move this, this one in because mm -hmm. she was a, a major security risk to the institution. So um, and then back then when this seg trailer existed, we moved it, like you said, into the max unit. And now, as I understand it, like the segregation has been taken away altogether. So I'm not sure like what they they do. I know like at Bowdoin, uh, when I worked there, there was talk of removing the seg segregation area and just calling it, basically it's still segregation. We're going to just call it something different. Right, right. So because they, know. they were saying like locking people up for 23 hours a day, because segregation, if you don't know, is um, you're locked up for 23 hours a day. You get one hour of rec and a shower, depending, and sometimes pro, like sometimes psychology appointments, whatever. Um, but most of, you're locked up for 23 hours a day. And lots of people were um, saying like, okay, how are we supposed to manage mental health? How are we supposed yeah. to manage all of these things if we're segregating this person. So I actually, that's the same. I don't know what's going on at institutions right now because I've heard that it was abolished and everything's changed, but I'm sure someone could come on and tell us because they, they know what is happening, but I yeah. don't know the answer to that. So yeah, and if, yeah, especially the people still in uh, that could come and say, and I, I, they can speak to that because I know, so I, when did I leave? 20. 14 yeah I don't know something like that I know that or, or before that I know that there was talk of abolishing it so I don't know where it went and what happened with it but it's yeah and yeah. I think about the people that still work there and I think how what we used segregation was to protect us yeah right? like that's right and and really to protect themselves if they were self-harming um right like we had lots of times where so, you were just put in segregation because we could monitor you that's in, right in that capacity and um watch you more often than we could in any other facility well and as time went on uh we did get some notorious inmates and they were housed like in segregation units and and that was for our protection because it was they were hostage takers which uh I believe it was relatively new to us. The the first I, I can look that up though, the first hostage taking uh that occurred. When I went to Bowdoin, I worked with a female officer who's passed on now, may she rest in peace, that had been a part of a hostage taking at the healing lodge. So the healing lodges that were that had opened and there was a hostage taking there. This inmate became very 
notorious throughout Canada and corrections. And I know when we had her, like we managed her in a different way than we would right. ever manage any other inmates. And I know that that protocol has even changed. Right. As, yeah, as time, as the dynamics change, right? Yeah. And, and w there's constantly new information coming out, right? From whatever it is, task force and um, staff and management and all these things. And there's so many people involved too, right? And I mm -hmm. honestly, I feel like, and I know that my opinion is different than other people's. It was like, we, we managed the inmates, but our opinion didn't matter that often, no. right? We weren't educated enough yeah. or whatever <laughs> to, to have an opinion, right? So most of the time we didn't get, get a say unless we were willing to seriously fight for it. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, and, and I don't know if that has changed. It's very, it could, it could have changed. I have no idea. Um, but I, I know that there are things that have evolved since I've left. But even when we were there, it was like, we, all of a sudden we started getting, remember, like tons of young inmates that had like That's major right. gang involvement. Totally. And that was and, new. Huh? That was new for that us, was right? New. I was yeah. like, I thought you said that was who? I'm like, oh, I'm not saying names. Sure. <laughs> 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 I won't say names. I, <laughs> <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I do. But I feel like it, that was like, a, that almost took us like two years to get the security in it to function at a place where everybody felt safe. We felt That's safe. Right. Yeah. It was building that rapport and starting to build a new rapport with, you know, not 40 year olds who, um, you know, did a whatever, but like 20 year olds who have this different attitude, this different look on life, this like, um, you can't fuck with me kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Where, and, and that was a, that was hard. That was a hard couple of years trying to build rapport with them. And I think that's when, so we'll talk about this. We're going to do a part two of this segment. We'll talk about like, we, some of us were forced to work on the security net. Some of us volunteered to be able to work with certain people. But I know that when we, um, when we went down to the security net, it was the notion behind it. The reason they were forcing people to go down there. And I, I remember us having these conversations saying it's not stable enough for these people. We're not um, yeah, creating right. a ton of um, structure. We're not creating a ton of routine by just rotating different staff through there all the time, because I would go down and say, no, we're not doing that. And then uh, another person would go down and say, yeah, we are. There was a comment on Facebook the other day. And if you saw it, um, I have a really good friend that I actually, I'm going to be honest, like the dudes that I worked with were like good dudes. Yeah. But I totally. like, I bossed them around like nobody's business. And sometimes, yep. um, the inmates would get them to do certain things that I wouldn't have done, like pop their popcorn. Pop because it, yeah. what happened is that, you know, the trays in a microwave, um, they smashed them and they were used, um, during yeah. an incident. So they yeah, weren't allowed. Right. So if you don't have one of those, like, uh, round things, I don't know what they're called, but they're glass. 
Yeah. If you don't have one of those in your microwave, your popcorn is fucked. Like it's totally yeah. messed up. It's like burnt on one side, like all this brittle. So they'd be like, Lauren, just pop our popcorn. I'm like, no, I'm not popping your popcorn. But then I would like take up the count slips and come down and smell popcorn. And like, smell. I'm like, if you popped your popcorn, you make me look like such a cow when you pop your popcorn. No. Uh, but it also brought a ton of consistency when they made certain people because it was like they knew they couldn't get away with this with my that's crew, right right yeah. like uh one of the inmates called us the dream team because yeah. <laughs> we rolled our smokes the best or you know like we would go down laughing or whatever we would make the best of the situation we were in that day um so i know that there was huge 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 um thought behind making people go to the security unit and making mm -hmm. system but none of us wanted to go down there. no nobody wanted i know that like i don't know what year it was but they were drawing names yeah like so, 2005 i want to say yeah 2005 something yeah. like that so then a few of us said listen let's go down there together right and yeah and it was a two-year we'll, rotation you had to sign yeah, up for so we'll yeah. be together and that's how we made it work and just like you said make the best of it with different things that I will say now because I can't get in trouble now but up the shoot was one of the games we played <laughs> uh we played badminton we played floor I'm talking midnight shifts inmates right. are locked down we read magazines there was a person who planned their wedding while we were down there <laughs> we had fun we made the best of right. like a a shitty situation right and I, and I know like our crews were different, right? Cause you, at that point you'd moved to crew one. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, if crew one came on, the inmates knew what to expect. If crew two came on, the inmates knew what to expect, right? They were like, oh, well, we're for sure going to get our popcorn pop tonight. We're for sure. Yeah, like, it was kind of sure. like, and they, it wasn't this like game that they played all the time, which I think what no. was that's how it was decided. Like it was happening too much because the staff were so random it was like and and we I remember when I started it was like who wants to trade me and I would yeah. go in and say because you don't have to walk as much on the security unit as you do in the houses if you have in to the wash the houses you're walking like I think it was like the first time I ever did it was like 8,800 steps in like the first four hours of my shift yeah, so yeah you're doing 20,000 right. shifts or 20,000 steps a day so if you were you didn't really want to do walking that day. You went to the security unit. If you wanted to walk, then you did whatever. But I always wanted to walk. So I was like, I'll trade you. So yeah, there was a same. lot of trading, right? Like I yeah. felt like, and then they were like, okay, we really need to focus on the things that we've decided are important to the security unit. And that is consistent staff and consistent um, rapport with those inmates, right? Because when yeah. shit hit the fan on numerous occasions, we were able to deescalate way quicker because they knew us we knew them we knew them yeah and the, like it gets to the point where they're they start asking for you because right. they are they know they're ready to blow and they're pacing right like a yeah. wild animal and they're like i need to talk to somebody like i don't want these rookies get out of my face and right like it's so funny that you say rookies because it's like two years in you're considered senior staff right, <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> i want to talk to lauren or i want yeah. you know Fernandez, right? It was, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe we'll stop it there for today yeah, because I okay. think 
we're getting like we're talking about and I mean we'll bring in some other stuff into the other uh the next part so this will be part one of a part two series and then Sharon and I will kind of talk about in the next episode like what the evolution was for us so she comes in 2002 what was that like I come in 2004 what was that like we'll talk about like the abolishment of our gap clothing and <laughs> you know when like you know the smoking thing right that was a huge thing that happened that was huge. uniforms was huge so I mean we can only really give you a, a timeline of like 2002 to 2014 and maybe at some point a guest will come on and fill us in for the remaining for everything that else that's been happening yeah, we yeah. would love it um, because I, th I think it's super important and I think people want to know this information. I'm sure lots of you had no idea that inmates, females lived in houses and yeah. um, we just walked through and did our thing and built rapport. And um, I, I always found it interesting to learn about these things and then um, sharing it with other people, of course, in a manner that is respectful and, um, <laughs> you know, teaches, yeah. teaches people about it, right? If you don't know, you don't know. But I totally. assume, I assume people know, but most know. people don't know. So, um, oh. yeah. So we'll, we'll end it there and we'll say thanks for listening and all the support. We love it. We love everybody and we'll sign off and have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, Sharon. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you have a second, we would love a review. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns. And if you happen to know anyone else that would be interested in tuning in, please share this podcast with them. We greatly appreciate it. Love, Lauren and Sharon. <laughs>